Good morning. Welcome back to another episode of Breakdowns for Breakfast. I am Danger, and that is Monster. Say hi, Monster. What's up, everybody? So happy and so glad that you all could join us. All I, I hope there's more than four of you at this point. Uh, if you're new here, great. I hope you enjoy today's selection because we're going to be talking Memphis May Fires Conditional. Monster, can you tell me what your experience, what your thoughts are, all that good fun stuff on Memphis May Fire and or this album specifically? So I had heard some of Memphis May Fire earlier than this. I had the album Challenger, which I think came out a couple years before this one. Do you not have and- it anymore? You said you had it. So I just curious. Uh, I probably do somewhere. I, I can't tell you the last time I put a CD into anything. That that came out when physical media was still a thing. I so. I bought a physical copy of that one. Um, I liked it. It it didn't stick with me really. I listened to it a few times. I like some of it, but um, never heard this album. I have listened to their most recent album. Uh, what, what's it called again? Remade in Misery. Remade in Misery. Is it remade or made? I'm getting ready to look it up because I'm curious. Remade. And and I like that one. I like that one pretty good. That one's a little more uh, modern rock, alternative rock, a little less metalcore, um, which is a little more my speed. Uh, But yeah, I had never heard this album before until we did this, and I listened to it over and over and over again to talk about it. This album is a little bit more straightforward metalcore. (laughs) It, it it is. Yes. So one of the interesting things I think about um about that album Challenger is Memphis May Fire actually was doing something that I kind of wish bands would do more often, but at the same time if they don't do it, I kinda wish they would do something different. But they were actually putting out full albums year after year. And mm-hmm. you know, uh looking at it here, they just put out an EP in two thousand seven and then two thousand nine they came out with Sleepwalking. Okay two-year break, but, you know, we don't really know who you are yet. And then then you had The Hollow in 2011, Challenger 2012, and then um, a conditional 2014, but they put out like a good, consistent you know, EPs and stuff after that and mm-hmm. I like that. So, you know, the experience I've had with Memphis May Fire has been rather limited but limited in time, let's put it that way, because I've, I've taken in a lot of of triple M as the uh nobody calls them that. I don't want to say it. nobody does. Anyway, yeah. There's only two M's. Memphis May or MMF. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I've been yeah. I, I put MMF all over these notes, so I didn't yeah. have to keep typing out. Yeah, <laughs> I, I put MMF a couple places in my notes as well. I think I typed out Memphis May Fire twice. I was like, we're not doing that every time. Exactly. But, okay, so they were lightly on my radar. I knew who they were. Growing up in uh, the uh, Christian music scene, and I do kind of want to hit on that because I did kind of dive into that with them a bit and trying to figure out where they fall into that. And so growing up in the Christian music scene, Christian scene overall, you know, it was hard to miss new acts, especially acts of, of note, acts that were worthy of it. And even after I stopped kind of being in that scene, I still, you know, had an ear for it. So they came about. And I remember hearing them. I don't remember if I heard their first album or Challenger. Actually, excuse me, the two albums they had before that, Sleepwalking and then The Hollow. I don't remember which one I heard. I don't think I ever actually listened to a full album of theirs until we saw them at Blue Ridge Rock Fest last year. First band, and we had stood in line for, I think it was four and a half hours for Shuttle. Uh, it was Ooh. it was terrible. the The shuttle situation was just god awful. I think no six hours that first day, four and a half hours the second day. So, oh um, and then they they finally got it together by the third day. Awesome, <laughs> great. Yeah, by Sunday we finally got it together. Yeah, but we missed a bunch of the bands we wanted to see. But they played during the day. You know, sun's still out, and actually, uh, right before them was. Uh, who was it? Sorry, Dayseeker, and the power went out. The uh, their equipment actually overheated because of the heat that was going on, and they actually did a uh, like a four or five song because they spent so long trying to get things back together, like a four right. or five song acoustic set, which was kind of neat. So anyway, yeah, Memphis Mayfire came out and absolutely killed it, 
And even when it was all over, you know, drive home, we're talking about this onslaught of music that we just saw. And Memphis May Fire was on both of our list of the best bands that we saw. Actually, out of the top, out of the top three, I think they were probably the best one. We were just blown away. Now, I do want to go back to what I was saying before about the whole Christian music scene. So I'm going to actually reference something that you had said on a previous episode. You know, I think you said on issues that if we looked at what every band or musician believed or how they acted or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. you would have no music to listen to if you changed based on that. And I fully believe that, you know, you could be Christians in a band and make good music. Not every Christian band sucks, but I don't think every Christian band is actually a Christian band. I just think they're bands, they're Christians in a band that make music. So with that being said, that's actually what I found that they fell into. Not all of them follow that same belief. And I don't think they all follow that same belief as closely now as they did when this album came out. And I know that this album actually had a lot to do with Maddie Mullins' uh, panic attacks and stuff. You know, he I watched an interview with him where he was talking about how before they went in for this album, he had a completely different idea of what this album was going to be. And then he went in after having a panic attack, which he said changed his entire life, which changed his security in a room, you know, just the way he felt about everything. And there's one song that, you know, he talks, you know, it's, it's all about that specifically, but it's, you know, it's an album that was really written really quick, which I really appreciate that they didn't, you know, take time to craft all these songs. I think the uh, recording time was only like a month in studio, which isn't that long. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's long for some bands, but, you know, for other ones, it's not at all. And I don't think that they actually wrote much of the music for this album beforehand. I think what I saw was their guitar player at the time was is also one of the producers on the record and he yeah. had demoed a lot of the songs like while they were on warp tour but back to your point though there's i'm not saying you're wrong because i don't know memphis mayfire well enough and i don't know maddie mullen's heart well enough to know for sure but i remember this being a common trend back 2014 2010s where a band was basically a Christian band, but they didn't want to say they were a Christian band because it's going to hurt their marketing and, and people are going to lump them into categories. And since then, I, I don't know if you know this or not. I'm sure you do. Uh, but Maddie Mullins has actually put out praise and worship records. I didn't know that. actually. Uh, but. Yeah. So I've actually heard his music on like K love and like the Christian contemporary stations. Um, and I think it's very clear, especially with the lyrics on this record, that he is a Christian and believes in God and Jesus Christ. And if other guys in the band don't, that's cool. You know, I mean, and, and good for them for not advertising as a Christian band if not everybody in the band has that faith. And, you know, because nothing would be worse than a kid who approaches the wrong member of the band with a prayer request and they get laughed at, you know, and it's, it's interesting to me that the lyrics are so, I I mean, they're not the most in your face Christian lyrics I've ever heard, but they're pretty clear to me. And again, if that's just Maddie and that's just his heart and the rest of the guys are just cool with it, that's fine. And I appreciate them not advertising differently. But it's also one of those things where I feel like if you're a Christian band, just say it. Just be a Christian band and don't like run away from it. You know. Well, you know the uh, uh, the thing about Switchfoot was I kind of always liked Switchfoot, but mm-hmm. then they, you know, kind of got to a certain point in their career where they were like, you know, kind of along the lines of what you're saying that you know we've always said we're a Christian band and it's actually hurting where we're going and who we are as a band. And so they were like, we're no longer a Christian band. We're, we're these people in a band, but we don't write Christian music. We don't write music with a certain purpose or whatever. And quite frankly, like I said before, I don't care 
who you are, what you believe. If you make good music, you make good music. There is terrible music on every side of every aisle and every line of belief. I mean, I've heard some of the absolute worst jungle lesbian beat jazz music. (laughs) And it's like, am I supposed to like you because you are these things? No, I'm not going to like you because you make terrible music. Just, you know, maybe you as a person, you're fine, but maybe I don't like you as a person because you think you're actually making good music. Thank you for introducing me to a genre that I did not know existed. Actually, I don't know if that does exist either. And well, I'm, I'm going to put out a record and uh, <laughs> I, that's how I'm categorizing it. I, you know, if anybody can make uh, jungle lesbian drum beat jazz, it's you yep. right here. Yep. Um, one last thing I'll say about all that as a guy who's played in Christian bands, one that is very Christian now, I, 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 I agree with you. I think at the end of the day, it's important to just be honest. If, right. if you want, don't do it for any sort of marketing reasons. Don't do it for any sort of fiscal reasons. Do it because it's the truth. If you are a, like, for example, the band I'm in now, Red Letter Rising, is very explicitly Christian. The, the lyrics are all about it. The performances are all about it. The imagery, everything comes back to ministry. It's hard to get Where, away from with Red Letter Rising. It is. That's, but that's the point of it. Like the, right. you know, the, it's the, the main guy behind it, David Bean, that's what he wants it to be. Whereas, for example, years ago, I was in a band called Death Proof that started off Christian and we were pretty honest about it. And then we had some members change. And it, we could not advertise in good conscience as a Christian band because not everybody in the band was Christian anymore. I made sure that the lyrics stayed clean and we stayed like positive, but we no longer advertised as a Christian band because it, it wasn't true. You know, you just, yeah, that, that's why we didn't want to do that. And I, th- again, for, I don't care what you believe and, and what yeah. you what music you're putting out, but, Going to what you said, yes, just be true to what you are doing. I mean, don't, right? I, I don't care what it is you're putting out, you know, but don't try to fake it. And actually, it's bands that I feel like have tried to fake it in different genres or mm-hmm. not just musicians. I mean, you know, people in general. If I don't, if, if I don't catch that you're genuine, I don't, we're done. We're done. Sure. It's one of the reasons why certain relationships are not stronger in my life, you know, just interpersonal relationships, but we're not here to talk about all of that. (laughs) We are here to talk about this album, Memphis May fires unconditional, the third full album. Now, what are your initial impressions of this album? Before we dive into, we're not going to do track by track. Of course, we've said that on some episodes and then we just end up talking about track by track, but I'm going to go and tell you, I didn't take notes on every track because I will say this album, I don't think is a wonderful standout album. I think it has some good solid parts. I think it is a good solid album, but it has a hole for me. Excuse me. It has two different holes for me in uh, tracks four and five, and then seven, eight, and nine. Those songs, when I listened back through the album, Mm -hmm. I remember hearing them, but they do not stand out to me. Okay. And, okay. and, you know, quite frankly, they feel like filler songs, but even the filler songs are still solid songs, but they're not songs that I'm going to make a point to listen to. Before we get into the album proper, I, I want to, I'm starting a new segment here. We'll get some theme music for it. Monsters musical history lessons i don't know we'll come up with something cooler do you want like indiana jones heroic like comeback music or uh do you just want like a wah 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 um (laughs) or a slide uh, whistle (laughs) until like this there it is there it is split the difference do the slide whistle (laughs) before we get into the the album itself i wanted to do a quick little history lesson on this genre we have been calling metalcore yeah but we've also talked about how almost every album that we've talked about doesn't have just one 
section of one genre of music within it. And I've, you know, I can hear other influences in this. It is a pretty straightforward metalcore album, but right. you know, it does have touches of other things in it and, you know, um, go on, go on. So, so I, I want to give this little breakdown here. And as I'm giving this little real quick, little history lesson, I think you'll hear my opinion on this record pretty clearly. So, I feel like modern metalcore came in two waves or two distinct flavors. Um, I was hit during the first wave with bands like Kill Switch Engage, Shadows Fall, Lamb of God, Atreyu, and this started right around 2000. Uh, Kill Switch, Lamb of God, and Shadows Fall all released their debut albums, their major label albums, mm -hmm. in the year 2000. Yes, which was were very early, very early for the metalcore sound, but you had to have people that broke the ice. Yes, and and all these guys were from the Northeast Boston, Maine area, and they sort of created their own genre. This it, they, these were guys that grew up listening to Metallica and Iron Maiden, but they also were listening to Black Flag, Minor Threat, like that kind of stuff. And when you go back and listen to these records, the guitar is often the the center point. It's usually very technical. Um, there are a lot of Right, clean vocals, especially in the the Kill Switch Engage camp. That was sort of their their big part. Jesse Leach and then Howard Jones as well. Just these huge, you know, bright choruses. Um, but it felt more metal than it did anything else. Yep. But then you had your second wave of metalcore bands, and this started a little more like in the 2010s. This is when you start getting your bands like Of Mice and Men, We Came as Romans, Memphis Mayfire, like Moths to Flame, et cetera, et cetera. These bands grew up listening to the metalcore bands that I just mentioned, as well as the modern, like, pop, TRL, new metal stuff that was real big in 2010s. The, the biggest influence, I think, here is Linkin Park, okay. because... You can really hear this in the production side of a lot of these modern metalcore bands. I've even heard people refer to this as like Lincoln Parkcore. I prefer calling it parkour. Okay. It? Parkour. If, and I, I get it. If parkour wasn't already a thing in some other way, <laughs> sure. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, okay. Parkour. With very few exceptions, this whole scene missed me. I was I was too old for it when it was was popping off and they all sound the same to me. A lot of these bands use the exact same guitar and drum tone when while recording. They use a lot of the same production tricks with the strings and the beeps and the boops. And then the songwriting patterns are very similar. You've got your your heavy verses, your singy choruses, and then somewhere along the line, the song starts to fade out, and then you get a big heavy breakdown with some chugs. It feels very formulaic, and it just sort of, it all kind of blends together for me. And for, as you mentioned, this album, that's what it sounds like to me. It just sounds like a 2014 second wave metalcore record with very little standout. That's that's fine. I actually will agree and kind of follow you along with that. And maybe we'll do a music development episode because I actually think there's a lot to break down within it, which, or maybe we'll just talk about it in bits and pieces on this, maybe in your was, new segments is, you've created. <laughs> and, and that is a very brief yep. generic explanation. Yep. There's you're exactly right. That could be a two hour conversation on its own, but I just wanted to kind of show like when you say the word metalcore. I think most people today think of, you know, we came as Romans of mice and men. But when I think of it, I think of the first wave with Kill Switch Engage, Shadows Fall, and I loved that stuff. So for me, this feels like the the bratty younger brother version of it, and it it just doesn't it doesn't appeal to me as much. So the term metalcore to me is just kind of a generalization of a type of music that you like. You like when people would say they like rap. Well, do you like East Coast rap? Do you like uh, West Coast rap? Sure, do you sure. like new school? Do you like old school? You know, where, where does that fit? And I think that there was a very interesting thing happening with bands like Killswitch Engage and Lamb of God, like you were talking about, where they were, you know, putting out this new heavier crunch of a sound that really wasn't around yet. 
But then you had the emo wave happening. You know, you had that late 2000s emo wave happening that turned into Screamo. And I think that somewhere along the line, Screamo and the and the early metalcore turned into the second wave of metalcore. You had a kind of a clashing of it. And I don't want to say that I think that Linkin Park was the biggest influence. I definitely think they are an influence. In fact, the uh, Memphis Mayfire did a pretty good cover of one of the... Uh, a yeah. faint, yeah. I, I was having trouble remembering which one it was, but yeah, they did a pretty good cover of "Faint," which is worth checking out. And as far as what you're talking about, the formula for bands like this, yes, I do 100% understand what you're talking about. I think that the you know scream, scream verse, sing ver- or chorus, you know, those kind of go back and forth, and then you've got. Uh, you know, uh, almost a little guitar solo, and then you've got a breakdown. Mm-hmm. And then every once in a while, you have a band that comes out that's a little bit different. And I think that Memphis May Fire actually showed the evolution of what that was doing, of what was happening there. And I feel like this was a step in that evolution that kind of was... I feel like this album was kind of a push in that direction, but it wasn't a push of the industry. It was a push of inspiration because this was not a big popular album by any means. Right. I do think that this was an album that people were listening to that were making the music that was, you know, becoming popular. I don't want to say on the radio and on MTV, because I can't tell you the last time I heard an, a band, a song like this on the radio and MTV, except for Linkin Park. I do think that, Linkin Park was an inspiration, not necessarily a band as a whole, but I think some of the things that Linkin Park was doing was inspiring bands to do different. I think that Chester Bennington was, but I do think that what was a little bit different about them was that they kind of did the flop, the like sing hip hop verses and the scream choruses and Chester Bennington, I don't care what the opinion is of anybody who listens to this episode. If they think that Chester Bennington did not have a good scream, he had a damn good scream. That guy had a, I, had a fantastic scream. In my opinion, Chester is in the top 10 rock metal vocalists of all time. I definitely I mean, think he's in the top of the list and somebody so that, that uh, definitely deserves a, con- a part of the conversation. I wouldn't put him in my top 10, but I would put him up there. And actually, I fall victim to something that I've criticized in the past that in his lifetime, I really didn't appreciate him enough because I think I was in that like uh, Lincoln park again, but then like there was always a Lincoln park song that jumped out to me. I don't think there was ever an album that I listened to of theirs that I thought this is great, except for hybrid theory. I love that album, but you know, in, in his death in postmortem, I've come to really, really appreciate them. So one more thing about the Lincoln Park connection, though, that I just want to clarify. Less so in the song structure and songwriting, more in the production. Because yes, I'll agree with you 100% Park, on that. I think Lincoln Park is the first. Okay, obviously, a lot of people will correct me because I'm sure I'm missing something. But to my ears, Lincoln Park was one of the first heavy bands to use really clean crisp pop production because if you think about when hybrid theory came out which i want to say was 2000 or right in that ballpark yeah, it was somewhere in there corn and limp biscuit were putting out ross robinson produced uh raw records now significant other came out around that time too and it was a little more polished but i don't think anything was as big and bright as Linkin Park's first couple records. Hybrid Theory came out October 24th, 2000. So, yep. I actually met them in November of 2000. So, nice guys. Yeah. yeah, Chester was a sweetie. I've never seen it. I've never seen any video clip or anything of him where he was nothing but just nice and cordial. And you've talked highly about meeting him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, and I think that that's, that's the real Linkin Park connection. And I've read some stuff about this album in particular where they were talking about wanting it to sound very theatrical and they added more strings than they normally do. And to me, I wish they hadn't because it's sort of, it's distracting. There are songs where the 
you got the double kick going and you've got the like neoclassical little kind of riffs going. And then on top of it, you've got this string section going bonkers. And I'm like, let's, let's take it easy guys. Like I, I, the, the the songs that I find most appealing on this album are the ones that don't sound like most of the album. <laughs> does okay. that make sense? It, it does. And I would be interested to hear those when we get to them, for sure. Yeah. And I have a feeling that we're probably actually going to like some of the same ones. And yeah. there are certain places where I understand where Matty Mullins was saying that he was more proud of this album than albums before. Of course, they only did two albums before, so, you know. And he is from Spokane, Washington, and the band is from Texas. And so, you know, he kind of, if you listen to what they sounded like beforehand, which it's really hard because, well, it's not really hard. They There's a few songs that were released with a, with an older singer. Mm-hmm. You know, he really did change the direction of the band and what their sound is. And yeah. something I thought was impressive about him when I saw them live, and I thought this was impressive every time I see it, or I think it's impressive every time I see it, but Matty Mullins can go from screaming to singing without any trouble. Oh, yeah. And I always think that's impressive. Of course, Will Ramos from uh, Lorna Shore, actually, uh, I've watched and listened and I've tried to do it. I can't do it. But he actually sings in a way that doesn't destroy his throat because the way that some of these guys do, they would have no voice by the end of a tour. And, and Matty and Mullins does every bit of vocal work, except for, you know, there is background vocals on parts of it. But, sure. You know. but, but again, here here's another good example of, you know, how many of these bands have two vocalists? They have one that does the screaming and then one that does the clean singing. So I, I will say that the one thing that, and, and I made a note of this later that I'll bring up, but the one thing that really sets Memphis Mayfire apart is Maddie. Not only his vocals, like, I feel like when you get into the screaming, it's a little bit generic, but he does have a good clean vocal that's, you he know, does. a little bit his own, his own tone, but, and the lyrics. You know, this album, as we've already kind of touched on a little bit, has a lot of talking about faith in God and his relationship with with Jesus and everything. This can be a bit of a a downer genre, uh, lyrically. Um, there's a lot of songs, a lot of bands that sing a lot about pain and suffering and just how awful the world is. And it's kind of refreshing to hear a different take on that. Now, Maddie sings about some pretty heavy topics throughout the record, yep. but it still has a positive spin on it. And I think it ends in a very like triumphant kind of way. But the, the end track is good, but we'll get there. So let's talk about the opener number one track one. And I'm not going to actually hit on the holes that I was talking about too much just yep. because they did not stand out to me. So track one, yeah, I have a feeling we're going to be like right on yep. in line here probably. on these songs. So, track one, No Ordinary Love. I shiver as you whisper in my ear. Child's have no fear. So, from the start, this is 100% a love song in every way. Now, I can very easily pick up on the spiritual content of this song, mm-hmm. but... It was really well done to where if you don't want to hear it that way, you don't have to hear it that way. And it's a great opening track for this because it gives you a a full spectrum of what the rest of the album is. It gives you the heavy, it gives you the soft. It really sets up just a, quite frankly, genius framework and it shows you what guys are in this band. And because you have a, a vocalist like him, that can do the clean and can do the scream clean and dirty. Let's you know put it that way. It gives the rest of the band a chance to, you know, to really work on creating the music for the song, mm-hmm. you know, the structure of the, of the song. But this song instantly kicks in with a catchy guitar riff. And then it just, it just moves forward. That's just what it does. It just moves forward. It was very smart to to lead the album with a song where Maddie sings a lot clean, yep. because that's a good way to kind of separate yourself from the pack. Now, 
once I got over my disappointment that it wasn't a shot a cover, I could enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. I, uh, I had to kind of think about that very thing, same thing as well. And it's funny that you would say like to your ears, it's very clearly a love song because to my ears, it's very clearly a praise and worship song. Like, and that's just a matter of what your mindset is going into it. And, and to me, like I said, between the album cover and what I know about Maddie's solo career and stuff, like to me, it sounds very straightforward. Hey, we're singing about Jesus. And yeah, I think you, I think it was written in a way that you could hear it as a love song or you can hear it as that. You are I, correct. For I sure. did not hear it as what you did at all. Mm-hmm. I heard it as a song that could be interpreted that way, but mm-hmm. I hear it as a straightforward love song. I thought it was really smart of them to incorporate the uh, synthesizers and the orchestra backing track, which you mentioned was a little bit overkill for it. Did you find that on this song? So, and this is just because of when you hear the beeps and the boops and the theatrical strings and all that in one song, it's fine. But when you hear it for 45 minutes straight, it's too much. Yep. And so right here, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm cool with it. It's not distracting. Um, it's, it's a feature, not a bug. By track three, four, five, six, and you keep doing it over and over again, I'm starting to, that's when I'm starting to like, okay, that's enough. That's, that's enough now. <laughs> and I think that that's where the album has those, those, you know, those gaps in it for Agreed. me is it became tiresome. My ears became fatigued within listening to it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. like we have talked about, there is a formula and mm-hmm. I, you know, I'd be wrong to say that they don't hold the formula. Sometimes, you know, they don't do the formula. Yeah. And, and like I mentioned earlier, with very few exceptions, this brand of metalcore is not one of my favorites. Those exceptions are bands like Issues, bands like Attila, bands like Sylar that actually do play with the formula mm-hmm. a little bit. Yep. And, and that's why I can enjoy those bands more than I can enjoy something like this. Because to me, like you said, it all just starts to sound like one song. Like there's yeah. very little that separates them and the two or three that do are the only ones that you like stick with you you right right so that was no ordinary love and i felt the same way that you did i had to work through the sade part of things yes that's one of those songs that it's it's just a damn good song and this isn't a sade episode but i do want to take a minute to talk about it because it is such a damn good song and People that cover that song, it's either fantastic or should not have been done. Like there is no yeah. middle ground. So, um, and that's one, I think that's when you leave alone. <laughs> well, uh, you and him, which is Dallas Green and Pink, actually have a little side project uh, called You and Him, and they did a cover of it that is fantastic. Which okay, well, if, that's if, I could see that working. Yeah, Pink is underrated in my opinion. So agreed. All right, so number two, beneath the skin. This this song is just the guitar gives a quick small intro. Then and like the guitar kind of changes within it. And so it's like it kind of steps you up to open a door to just be obliterated by deeper guttural screams. And it's just an onslaught of a song. And it's one of those that you gotta be in the right mindset for, but it's such a damn good it it's so good. It just hits you hard. That's what I feel like. Like I don't recall clean vocals much in that song. I know that Maddie put some in there, but it's just one of those songs that just gets gets me pumped. Uh, yeah. So th- I'm already in the black hole at this point. Um, okay. I I like the lyrics because I think he's he's talking about some self harm stuff, um, and I thought that was a you know a heavy topic to to talk about. And it's important to talk about. Yeah. Um, I do remember the little music box twinkling into the like heavy chug. Right. Like 
like you said, that obliteration. I liked that part. But other than that, I, I like right now, I can't tell you how it goes off the top of my head. I just, I will say that song that is four minutes and 12 seconds. I think that track is a little bit long. I think it is a solid track for this album, but I do feel like about halfway through the song, it's like, all right, let's start winding down. And then we just keep going. I do love that track. I think it's good. I think it does get me pumped, but I don't need to listen to the entire thing. Sure. Sure. You know, um, it's, it's a standout one for me. Okay. So track three, sleepless night. If this album doesn't do anything for most people, it should show you that each song can have an intro. And (laughs) it's a very simple, all-snare intro that's not quite a drum roll. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I know this is a song that actually deals with, if you listen to the lyrics, it deals with uh, his battle with anxiety and depression and all, which I can identify with those. I can relate to them. So maybe that's why it jumped out to me a little bit more. But it gives a, again, all snare, not quite drum roll intro into heavy guitars. And, you know, one of the things I really appreciate about this band is they show the drums and guitars without leaving behind either one on the Mm -hmm. same track, sometimes at the same time. But then all the while, Maddie's vocals are able to kind of shine through. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that. So. Sleepless nights, not quite drum roll open into Maddie. <laughs> and yeah. I have very little to say about two, three, four, and five. They okay. all, I, I like the lyrics on, well, if you want to, if you don't want to skip over anything, uh, number four, the answer. I kind of remember liking the groove and I do remember Maddie's vocals being a little bit different on this one. He kind of in the verses, he has a little bit of a pop swagger to him a little bit that I, I liked a little bit, um, not much, but it's yeah. at least a little different than what we've heard on the first three songs. So, and then what I will say for the answer is what I found for the answer is it was one of those really good background tracks for cooking, mm-hmm. but okay. Yeah, you know, driving drumbeat really helped that one. But when we get to four and five, I just kind of fall into this hole of where it just it starts to kind of, like I said, fatigue sets in. Yeah, yeah, you're you're doing all the same things that we've already heard. Like I said before, they are solid tracks, but they don't jump out to me. And uh, I will say with five possibilities. like the lyrics um he's it sounds like he's talking about children starving yeah and and i think that again heavy subjects but it's it's not they're being presented in a way of hey there's a lot of bad in the world but we can fix it whereas right. a lot of these middlecore bands it's more like my life sucks whereas that's not what maddie's doing here he's saying hey there's a lot of sucky stuff in the world let's change it if you believe the world sucks yes it does but mm-hmm. there's room to change it there there is you know if we're gonna sit back and you know go this sucks and then never actually do anything then yeah that's a problem but you know every each person can just do their little part so Absolutely. now i think that number six speechless was a great move for them and a great time in the record because it, you know, the band turned the album down a bit. It added depth to this album. It was a 
slow, atmospheric song where Maddie proves that he's not just a screamer. You know, he did sing previously on the album, but I don't recall him screaming at all on this album, on this song. And at a time where the album is getting tiresome and repetitious, Mm -hmm. they come in with a song called like speechless. It does drag a little bit, but it does show the band's versatility overall. And I think it was a great move for them. And I think that this was one of the things that helped kind of push the evolution of the scene forward because it was like bands realized we don't have to hurt everybody's ears for every song of an album. And we've talked about before that, you know, when an album has a certain momentum, it's got to kind of throttle that or like pull that momentum back a bit Mm -hmm. because the listener will get tired. There are some albums that I want to do that I sent over to you in the past couple of weeks that are pretty brutal from start to finish. Mm-hmm. But even they take moments of reprieve to, even if it's just a minute long intro before a song kicks in, they, they there's dynamics there. The first five songs on this record have very little dynamics. They all kind of share a sonic space. They might slow down they might pick up they might fade out and kick back in but they all sort of meld together whereas speechless at least sonically goes somewhere else i agree with you i was kind of maybe it's just listening to too much sleep token i was waiting for it to kick in yeah, and it never kicked in. yeah. um sleep token's really it, good at making you live in anticipation <laughs> yes and it never does that but that's okay. Like it didn't really need to necessarily. Right. So I don't think that this is a headphones album. I did listen to this album through headphones. Uh, Same three times all the way through. Just uh, two of them were just because I didn't want to play music loud through my speakers. And I kind of just wanted to be in my own space. And one of them mm-hmm. was to actually hear the album through headphones. I do not think that this is a headphones album, but if you have not listened to this album, or excuse me, if you have not listened to Speechless through headphones, you are missing out. I do think this was an excellent headphones track. Now, we go right out of track six that I absolutely love into nothing that really grabbed me. You know, the rose. It's very easily a just straightforward uh, metalcore track that blends in with everything else. If you listen to lyrics, the song is all about hating the music industry. Mm-hmm. I get that, sure, but it doesn't jump out. Neither does eight. Not enough. Need to be for everyone to see. I want to be, just don't. So, okay, this is all I want to say about any of these. This is a common trend in these albums. These bands like to do a song where you're exactly right. The music industry sucks. We did it ourselves. We did it on our own. And I am so sick and tired of this shit because it's, it's, here's the deal. If you want to be an independent band, be an independent band. If you don't, you sign to a major label, you get the benefits of that, enjoy it. But these songs, like, here, I'm just going to read my actual little blurb here for The Rose. Typical, we did it on our own, no one can stop a song that a lot of these types of bands do. The production is is heavy-handed for me, the strings during the verses and choruses and the twinkly sounds on the bridge is too much. This one came across kind of icky to me. I could see this being motivational to the right person, but for me, it comes across bratty. The breakdown is groovy, 
uh, and has that tough guy hardcore sound. But that part at the end, they'll remember our name forever because when they said we couldn't, we did. Ugh, that is groan inducing. Like, is. that is the most like, because here's the thing you're Memphis Mayfire. You are a, in my opinion, slightly maybe one step above generic metalcore band. Don't mm -hmm. do this. Don't write a song about how badass you are and how no one can stop you. Like, just, ugh, I don't like that. I really don't. So, the way I kind of see that, you know, that track, it's all about hating the the music industry, railing against them, and, you know, saying your piece. Sure. Fine. Mm -hmm. Do what you got to do. Say what you got to say. Make a filler track. <laughs> but I, I honestly think that what it is is that they signed to uh, Rise Records in 2011, and I think that this was actually a uh, a song against Rise Records, but not against Rise Records because Rise mm -hmm. is a record label that does seem to put a lot of you know. Uh, a lot of focus on the individual artists and or the bands and all and what they want to do while you know still giving them room to be themselves but you know still being a record label still being a business and the only record label i've ever heard of that i think actually works in the musicians favor is actually fat records which is fat mike's record label but sure. i think rise records had the intention of doing that and they've got some good bands on their their uh their roster but I honestly think that it was it was time per their contract to put out another album. And mm -hmm. that's where we get an album like this that has really good, solid tracks and a good amount of filler. But even the filler are good, solid tracks, but they're not enough to really set this album apart from other ones. When I hear a band that other than just occasional moments of clarity sounds so generic and so run of the mill, throw out a line. They'll remember our name forever. Cause when they said we couldn't, we did. That makes me want to turn the whole damn thing off. <laughs> like that is the most cocky. Like again, they're probably sitting there. They're hyping each other up in the studio. They're like, yeah, we're going to we'll show them. But it's like, Dude, 30 years from now, are we really going to remember Memphis Mayfire? Like, is that a band that's going to be like, you got Led Zeppelin, you got the Beatles, you got Memphis Mayfire? Like, come on. Like, I, I get like patting yourself on the back and trying to like hurrah yourself a little bit, but like, it just comes across like, ooh, I don't know. I don't like that. Yeah, I don't think Memphis Mayfire is definitely going to live in the higher echelon of. <laughs> people i do think that you know they're gonna put out some good solid albums i think remade of misery yeah. is a solid album but i don't think it's gonna be a you know they're i don't think it's gonna be a thing where they're gonna plant their flag on the right. history of music i i just don't now to, to stop railing on that one song all um, right fair enough fair enough you, all right you mentioned uh going through i was gonna say i kind of liked uh number nine need to be and then i want to be because again, it reminded me of Speechless. It had that Linkin Park production, kind of slow it down a little bit. I like that one pretty good, but okay. you're right. This whole section is is kind of meh. So, yeah, Need to Be was one of those that just didn't stick out to me. It, you know, it's a fine track. Like I said, their filler is even still solid filler, but, you yeah. know, I, I think that the the highlights of this album are the the ones that should be talked about and are ones that actually kind of, you know, caused a, I don't want to say a disruption, uh, but they did cause an influence in other people. So track 10 Pharisees. From a Heavy, it's fast paced and melodic. Mm -hmm. It's just just sharp chugging choruses and the 
words are hearty and sung with heart. You know, I just, it's a catchy tune. Again, I know we go back and forth on the whole Christian band, not a Christian band thing, but a popular trend amongst Christian bands is to write the anti-preacher song almost like they, they like to go after your televangelists and the, the ones that are like preaching on TV and your Joel Steens and your, your like mega church people. And to me, that's what this song is. This is him saying, you know, you're preaching about these commandments that you can't keep yourself from on top of this mountain you couldn't climb on your own. And it sounds very pointed at those kind of spiritual leaders. And um, I like, I, I, I refer to it as the Christian equivalent to shut up there at the end where he does that keep your mouth shut line. Yeah. I like the, this song is musically meh for me, but I did like the breakdown at the end and the lyrics are very uh, biting, a little scathing. I kind of yeah. like that. And, you know, they, they did use that little synth to kind of bridge yeah. the two. And I think that that was where we kind of felt the, the song kind of slow down a bit to then yeah. link into the, the next part of it. So overall Pharisees, I, I thought was great. It's a damn good cooking track. <laughs> it was one of those that while it was cooking, it was just, I was feeling it, was feeling it hard. Cool. So then Pharisees leads us into the bookend divinity. Track 11, closer for the album. What did you feel about this? How did you feel about this song? Musically, I don't have much to say. Okay. Lyrically, I think it's one of the best on the record. Okay. I think you, you've literally listened to 10 songs of up and downs about his struggles, other people's struggles, struggles out in the world. And in this song, there's lines like, God makes no mistakes. You are a miracle story. And to me, ending on such a high note, if I was a kid, like in 2014, you know, almost 10 years ago, I'd have been in my 20s. If I would have heard this when I was a teenager or early 20s, this is the kind of song that would have like helped me. Like these are the kind of lyrics that um, I, I just thought this was the first song. And this song, like, were the perfect way to start and finish the album. Say what you want about the middle, but I love the way it starts, and I love the way it ended. Now, you had talked before about that you didn't feel the, you weren't feeling the orchestra parts of things, but it's very much so uh, a rock opera feeling song. But in a, in a, in a, in the case of this one, I feel like it fits better than it does in some of the other songs. That's fair. Because in some of the songs, I find it downright distracting. And in this one, I find it to be more of an accompaniment and kind of adds to the drama of the lyrics as opposed to, hey, the guitar's going nuts, let's throw in some strings too on top of it. Like this sounds a little bit more consolidated and concise. Yeah. So I do love actually all parts of this song. I think this was a great closer for this. And, you know, the the vocal delivery was on point. I, I think this is actually one of the shining stars of this album. And Agreed. for them to open and close an album with such strong entries. And we've talked many times before, and we'll talk many times in the future about how important the opening and closer are for an album. Yeah. They did it right on this. You know, like you said, say what you will with the middle, you know, feelings, uh, people have different feelings about the middle and that's fine. You know, you and I definitely had different feelings about what the stronger tracks were at different points, but as an ending divinity is a fantastic song. 
I cannot tell you if they played it live, mostly because I was not really familiar with them when I saw them live. Sure. You know, I do know that they played a lot of stuff off of Remade in Misery. Sure. You know, sure. he was wearing a Remade in Misery hoodie and 95 degrees playing a show, which made no sense. I don't understand it when musicians play a show live and wear clothing that is not for the weather they're in or the temperature they're in, period. Okay. So as someone who just played a festival out in Indiana, we played around noon in the middle of the sun, no shade. I had on all black, long sleeve shirt, a mask that covered up my nose and my mouth and black eye makeup. Mm -hmm. And when I tell you, I thought I was going to die. Yeah. We were, we only had to play like 35 minutes and by like the third or fourth song, the mask was off. I had to like, there was a couple times in the last couple songs where I had to just stop moving. I had to just like turn my back to the crowd and just turn around and just, <laughs> just, just get yourself together. So that was actually, there was something within that that I thought of when we were talking about Trek, uh, was it six? Yeah. Speechless. It's too good to be true. So this album, Total Time, is 43.20. And you played for how long at your... <laughs> Not even that. Not right. even that long. Right. So I think when a band places... I think it's important for a band to place a slowdown track in an album because you are basically giving your listener a new concert to listen to, even though you know there's live and and uh, on an album are two completely different things. And sure. You know, we're not fans of bands that play the music on the album live, just like it was on the album. So, but I do think it's important to place that song in a track listing and time it properly. And I also think, you know, we might differ on one or two of them, but I feel like there is an incredible EP in this album. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they I actually had an EP worth of material and the songs that I say are filler, I think is where rise because they put out, um, they put out EPs all over the place in their history. Mm -hmm. and I think rise had a like two year mark for putting out albums, which is actually mm -hmm. where this falls. And yeah, you know, I know that earlier in the month of, of March when it, uh, when it came out, I think it was like 10 days before Maddie Mullins actually up, like uploaded the entire thing to YouTube. <laughs> And he was like, yeah, sometimes I, you got to leak your own album. You know. I saw that quote and I thought that yeah. was funny. Yeah. I, and, and bands do that all the time. I, I remember, you know, I, I brought them up earlier. Trey, you, that's a band that I've been mm -hmm. listening to for a long, long time. Let me say Trey. Oh yeah. And when they were trying to get out of their record deal with victory, they put out like a nine song album, eight song album. Like it, it didn't sound finished. They were just like, put it out. And then they released a greatest hits album. They were like, we got to get out of this contract. Just, Put yeah. it out. You know. I think um, it was uh, Neil Young who, to do the same thing, he went to the studio for one weekend, recorded three albums, one of which was a rockabilly album and was terrible. Perfect. And he was like, he's like, I'm just going to put out things. I'm not going to promote them. Here's these albums. Yeah. I'm done with this contract. So we're not, so, uh, we're not on a tray or, <laughs> or Neil Young. So give me your closing statement okay. on this one. All right. So, as I stated at the top of the episode, I'm just not a huge fan of this genre. Uh, for me, a lot of these kind of bands sort of run together. With that being said, Memphis Mayfire does do a few things to separate themselves from their contemporaries, um, specifically Maddie's lyrics. No Ordinary Love, Need to Be, and Divinity all sound very personal and comforting. I think those are some of the standout tracks. I find a lot of the production on this album to be a bit distracting. The strings and the beeps and boops go a little overboard from time to time. For a lot of people, those flourishes are probably a feature and not a bug. But for me, it's just too much. Other than a few standout tracks, the songs feel very generic and stock to the genre. And if I heard the instrumentals, I probably wouldn't be able to pick these songs out against their contemporaries. Few of these songs did really work for me, but almost exclusively because of the lyrics. I recognize that it's a well produced and performed album, but it's just not my cup of tea. One to ten. Uh, I give it a four and a half. Okay. Okay. Four and a half. That's fair. All right. So Memphis Mayfire has a lot to offer on this album. 
Trying to find things wrong with this album is not hard, but it's not easy. To people who have not listened to Memphis May Fire before, this album shows that the metalcore scene has evolved. The music is solid, the lyrics are passionate. With all this being said, there's still something missing that would have taken this really good album and made it a really great album. There are tracks on the album that show a desire to build on the roots that they have already built while doing something different. And if released as singles, this could have been successful. However, they are dragged down by majority of songs on this album that are fillers, or at least feel like fillers, which can be rather disappointing. Though the filler tracks are still good, they feel right, they feel solid. This is a very solid record that those who enjoy the heavier side of music will be able to enjoy. If you enjoyed this album or this band, I recommend We Came as Romans and Wage War. I give this album a seven. What? Man. Well, it's That's higher than I thought you were going to give it. Um, I I kind of went back and forth from six mm-hmm. to seven. Uh, I mm-hmm. I did, and it's kind of like where you were talking about with issues that mm-hmm. the songs that are good are so good, you actually give the album a little bit more than mm-hmm. than you know taken away from it. And I one hundred percent agree with you on that. This is not an album to me that has nostalgia behind it because I've really only known this band for a year and I've come to really appreciate this band. Mm-hmm. And I think also I appreciate this band as people because I have watched interviews with them. And so I, I understand their position and, you know, religion and, I will, and music and the yeah. industry and, you know, I, I appreciate them as people and I appreciate this album. And and I will say that say what you will about Memphis Mayfire musically. I think uh, I I can't say enough good stuff about Matty Mullins as far as his. I, I have a I have a feeling that he's probably got a great heart and he means very well. And even though I kind of made fun of a couple of lyrical choices here on this album, I I, I think he's very sincere and very genuine. And I. The fact that he has put out some contemporary Christian albums as well, I think just shows that he's really embraced his faith. And it's kind of cool to go back almost 10 years and hear in some of these songs the struggles that he's having. And that's not to say that it's all hunky-dory now. I'm sure he still struggles. If, if you're a Christian, you sort of always struggle. But but I, I think that I, that that's the thing that makes this almost work for me is Maddie. So I will say for Maddie Mullins, uh, he did a cover with our last night in 2015 to drag me down one direction cover. That was fantastic and worth listening to. Uh, He did a uh, from ashes to new song called until we break. It's a great song. Just came out in 2022. And then he did a cover of uh, Justin Timberlake say something with somebody I never heard of before, and I haven't really heard anything since. But it's really good, worth listening to. Guy's name is Danny Worsnop. I it's a fantastic cover. Say oh yeah, something. he's from uh, Asking Alexandria, right? Okay, I, I I don't know. I don't know anything about him. Honestly, I haven't looked up anything else about him because it was just yeah. like, okay, this is a really good song. Uh, but Maddie and- Maddie Mullins is on, I think. Instagram as meaty Mullins because he's really into smoking meats and stuff (laughs) and really good stuff. Really highly recommend Uh, it. And, and as you were going through that, I I did a quick look and uh, the song is called nails. That is his praise and worship single that I've heard on K love and Mm. and stuff. Obviously musically, it does not sound like Memphis Mayfire is temporary Christian music, but as far as lyrically passionately, it, it's right up there with divinity and, and that kind of lyrical content. It, it's, it's better than most contemporary Christian music. I'll say that. So monster, what album are we talking about next week? Well, you know, we're sitting here talking about positivity and Christianity and all of these sorts of things. So let's do a limp biscuit album. <laughs> Cause I mean, nothing says, uh, live your best life. Like limp biscuit. So live, what is it? Laugh. Live, laugh, love. love. Laugh, limp biscuit. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, live, we're going to do live, laugh, limp biscuit. Yeah. There it is. So we're going to do the album. Results may vary. Obviously we don't want to get into too much right here, but I'll, I just want to make one point why I chose it. 
I think Limp Biscuits has had a bit of a resurgence over the past couple years. They kind of went from being the whipping boy to kind of like the nostalgia big band. And this album is a really weird blind spot because it's the only album they did without Wes Borland. And it is completely different than uh, just about everything else they've ever done. And I will go into why that is. Okay. So we will dive into Limp Biscuits. Results may vary next week. But as for now, I appreciate all of you listening. I, I appreciate any listeners coming back. And if you have a suggestion for an album that you'd like for us to talk about, we'd be more than happy to listen to the album and either tear it anew or a gush on it or a mix of both. Nothing would make me happier than for people to start sending us stuff like, please check out this band. Please check out this record. Like, Oh, that'd be so much fun. And, and if you're just not be prepared, if we don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> and if you're not checking out something, shoot us a message on uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter. We are in the uh, inside of the danger and Sarge arena. So please search danger and Sarge on those shoot us an email, danger and Sarge at gmail.com. And let us know if you've checked out something that we've listened, talked to on. Ch- let us know if you've talked about something. Let us know if you've checked out something that we've talked about on this show. If one of the sound clips has catched your ear, caught your ear, catched, catched is not a word. I'm talking like this the seven year old. It's gone downhill ever since I tried to say live, love, limp biscuit. Yeah, it really has. It's all your fault. Agreed. So, all right. Thank you for coming back and listening to us. I hope you enjoy your day. Goodbye. So long. Later. Farewell. <laughs> Avita Zane. Yeah, it's all your fault.